It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big show. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to talk to uh, Bill uh, Melguin, uh, the Fox News correspondent. As you know, he's done incredible work at the border. And what he, we've seen him watch, we're watching him. He had to help some people get out of the Rio Grande River as they cross. You're talking about women and children. Uh, he will be with us shortly. And then at the bottom of the hour, Adam Grant, an organizational psychologist and the Wharton School of uh, Business graduate and best-selling author. He's going to be with us here with a book called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know, because this pandemic has done so much to change so much uh, in our everybody's lives. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What I meant is um, uh, precisely that. The border is closed. Uh, We are expelling uh, single adults and families under the Title 42 authority that rests with uh, the Center for Disease Control. I doubt it. And not only that, all kids get to stay. Border turns from crisis to cataclysmic as more children, families, and single males from an array of nations, including Venezuela and Haiti, pour through our southern border. As Secretary Mayorkas says, it is closed. No one thinks so. Number two. Let me emphasize that much as there was no cause for, say, hoarding toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic, there should be no cause for hoarding gasoline. The pipeline should be substantially operational by the end of this week. Yeah, well, let's hope. Long line, short supply, and an overdose of anxiety as the Colonial Pipeline remains offline after a massive cyber attack Friday. Outrage is now taking root as the White House response looks anemic and it's revealed that the pipeline was protected by outdated Microsoft software. Inexcusable. Number one. Dr. Fauci, do you still support NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? You are entirely and completely incorrect. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research... I don't favor gain-of-function research in China. You are saying things that are not correct. Uh, Yes, uh, we have somebody like Anthony Fauci skirting the truth. Just tell the truth. That's all we ask. That's my message to Anthony Fauci and the CDC director when it comes to where COVID-19 came from and what to do now. We have zero faith in your direction, both of you, and for good reason. We will share with you what we know as opposed to what they want you to know and what other channels are telling you. So first off, let's talk about the CDC director. Uh, She is either the weakest, knows her stuff, and is weak, or doesn't know her stuff and is making it up and is in way over her head. I'm talking about Rochelle Walensky. We found out they did a study. The New York Times exposed this on the chances of getting this virus outdoors. You know what they said? Less than 10,000, less than 10% chance. So people go, well, you know, it's a little bit of a risk. I don't think I want to do it. You know, I got, uh, I have allergies or I'm missing a lung or, you know, I'm going to make kids wear masks when they play sports just to make sure. And we're not going to have gym. Turns out, less than 1% chance. They were going on some study uh, from Singapore. The rest of the world knows you're not going to get it outdoors. So if you're playing sports, 11-year-old soccer, 12-year-old softball, take the mask off. 
And if you are running these leagues, do it now. So she is out there responding to the New York Times report yesterday, cut six. With regard to the New York Times piece this morning, there's a meta-analysis from Journal of Infectious Diseases that was published in November, I believe, where the top-line result of all, collabor- all studies that were included in the systematic review said less than 10% of cases were um, transmitted outdoors. It is that meta-analysis that combines science from all sorts of, um, all different science from, from many different places. I think over 19 studies were included. The top-line result was less than 10%, published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases, one of our top infectious disease journals. That is where that came from. It was a published study that synthesized study from many places. But do you know what it said? Less than 10%? It's true, technically, but you're not being honest. Less than 1% is less than 10% too. And that's what you say. And then you tell people to take the mask off. Then if you tell them to get vaccinated, which, by the way, they probably, the ones that are on the fence, they listen to this stuff, and they're going, I'm not going to even take a risk. I'm worried about this. It came too quick, or I don't like vaccinations, whatever the reason is. Now you hear, play, go outside. It's dangerous. No, it isn't. It's less than 1%. No, it's a 10% chance. What have you been doing to people's lives for the last year? Some meta study that doesn't add up even to the New York Times. Cut seven. My promise is that CDC will continue to follow the science as our guide. And my appeal is to implore everyone to get a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible as the fastest way to end this pandemic. But even with this powerful tool, while we continue to have community transmission, we must also maintain public health measures we know will prevent the spread of this virus. No, we're not. If it means six feet apart with a vaccine, you don't need it. If it's wearing a mask, you don't need it. You're with vaccinated people, you don't need it. If you're with an unvaccinated person, let them do, make adjustment. I'm not. Come on, what are you talking about? I'm going to leave everything in place, just get a vaccine, just trust me. Here's Susan Collins. And when you lose Susan Collins, you have lost everybody. She is the most moderate uh, in every way, shape, and form you can define moderate. Cut eight. I always considered the CDC to be the gold standard. I don't anymore. So here we have unnecessary barriers to reopening schools, exaggerating the risks of outdoor transmission, and unworkable restrictions on summer camps. Why does this matter? It matters because it undermines public confidence in your recommendations in the recommendations that do make sense, in the recommendations that Americans should be following. Do you understand if this is Louis Gohmert or something, you say, well, even though Louis is, is writing a lot of stuff, sometimes he gets a little emotional. Susan Collins is emotional. You know, the summer camp things, you would think it was written by The Onion. They are so ridiculous for kids that parents are going to go, I'm not going to bother. Now, some camps are going to ignore it, and then they're going to get sued. Well, the CDC guidelines, someone will find some law, so they're not going to be able to get uh, a license to do it. But a lot of camps are not even going to exist. Why are you destroying businesses unnecessarily? I ask that at Governor Cuomo every day, but I ask that in Washington. And, and we know how she sold out 
to the teachers' unions to keep those schools closed because the unions want them closed. No use for the entire department, which is a shame because we're paying a lot of money for them to watch our backs, and they're not. So yesterday, the real fireworks happened as expected. I think we pulled some of this back for our show. Senator Rand Paul challenged Anthony Fauci on what the NIH, what he headed up, was control of their purse strings, gave to the Wuhan lab in in, in, in uh, the hope of investing in and getting results of gain-of-function research, where they take live viruses and they study how, to, uh, how they act so they can prevent them next time they come up. The problem is they are extremely dangerous, and a lot of people don't want them to do it. In 2012, for example, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which I'm not a subscriber to, but I read all this stuff about it, this story in The uh, New Yorker. Lynn Klotz warned that there's an 80% chance, given how many laboratories were then handling virulent viruses, that these variants, that a leak of a potential pandemic pathogen would occur sometime in the next 12 years. Hmm. I think that's 2024. Uh, I think it happened before that. Now, behind the scenes, the organizer of The Lancet, Peter Danzig, pushed back on the fact that there was a big push to look at the Wuhan lab. And stop sending money there. There was a movement to stop sending money to the Wuhan lab. Well, the Lancet, which is run by Peter Danzig, you might have seen him on 60 Minutes on this very topic. He wanted to get that money. So he had 27 Nobel scientists, Nobel Prize winning scientists, come out to strongly condemn the conspiracy theory suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. And that they couldn't go ahead and continue to test in that Wuhan lab. Unbelievable. So as you look at what Anthony Fauci knew about this Wuhan virus, you never hear him talking about the origins. You never say we need to find out. But as everybody will tell you, in order to stop the next pandemic, we need to find out how this one started. So you read all this, how the NIH is all over it, Anthony uh, Fauci's name is all over this, a thank you note uh, from the Wuhan lab for his contribution. And then the dueling took place. Here is Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci. Uh, let's go to, uh, what cut should we go to of them? Yeah, cut one. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research... I don't favor gain-of-function research in China. You are saying things that are not correct. The NIH, which he's in control of, gave money to the Echo Health to the tune of $3 billion, maybe four. Echo Health to the Wuhan lab... Close to $600,000. That was just in 2014 alone. You know those numbers went up. So if Echo Health is giving to the NIH and we give to the Echo Health, which is a nonprofit, if uh, the Echo Health gives to Wuhan and NIH gives to Echo Health, 
aren't they tangentially, at the very least, funding the Wuhan lab? There's more to this. Stay tuned. When we come back, Bill Milguin um, will be joining us. He's uh, our new reporter who's done incredible work down at the border at the Del Rio section. And you see him actually pulling people out of the Rio Grande. What's it like today? And why are the numbers up 980% on border crossings since 2020? Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown. A contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have cameras today in Texas that are showing humongous groups of dozens or hundreds of migrants walking right into the country. So I'm curious what you meant last week when you said the border is closed. Uh, the board, what I meant is um, uh, precisely that. The border is closed. Uh, we are expelling uh, single adults and families under the Title 42 authority that rests with uh, the Center for Disease Control, uh, I, and uh, we decided as an administration, in furtherance of the President's direction, to administer our immigration laws of this country in an orderly and safe and humane way that we will not expel unaccompanied children. The numbers speak for themselves. It's absolutely a crisis, and the fact that you have over 178,000 illegal apprehensions in one month alone is just outstanding. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's beyond words. And for the administration to continue to say that the border is closed and the border is secure, when thousands and thousands of folks are coming, and these are just the ones that we apprehend, you have to remember, there are thousands and thousands a month of gotaways of folks that we don't apprehend. So, we- so uh, joining us now is Bill Malusian. He doesn't need a press conference to find out what's happening at the border. He's at the border in the Rio Grande sector. Uh, Bill, we're watching you pull people out of the Rio Grande River. Are you shocked about what you're seeing? Yeah, you know what, Brian, good morning to you. Um, it, it's kind of strange for us on the ground to listen to those press conferences out of out of D.C. hearing that, you know, quote, unquote, the border is closed. Uh, that's that's certainly not what we've been witnessing here in Del Rio, uh, you know, the last four days in a row, every single day, 10, 10 15 a.m. local time, Coyote shows up on the hill, 
a bunch of vehicles start pulling up, and uh, you get a group of about 50 migrants who just walk right across the river and come into the United States illegally. And we're we're get, we're going to be here at 10:15 a.m. again today to see if it happens all over again. So it's it's been a pretty bizarre experience because the last day when they first came over, um, it was just us there. I mean, there wasn't any law enforcement there for the first couple of minutes. So all these folks were just streaming in, and we were kind of wondering, like, what the hell are you know what the hell are we going to do? We're just, we're just standing here watching these people come in. Eventually, Border Patrol showed up. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's pretty interesting to to watch those press conferences out of D.C. and then be standing here on the Rio Grande as I watch coyotes lead large groups of folks directly into the United States. I know you just joined us now, but, you know, they were walking across with Biden T-shirts. The Mexican president said he's a migrant president. That's why they're coming. It's not politics. Last year in 2020, 17,106 came in April across the southwest border. Now, 178,622. Those are the ones we got let alone ones that we didn't get, drug trafficking, or we just didn't go through Border Patrol. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, how do you character, what are they saying to you? I know you speak Spanish and you're able to interact with them live on the air. Why are they coming? Where are they coming from? So almost every single one of them that we talk to uh, is coming from Venezuela. Um, there's been a few that are coming from Cuba. Um, but I've kind of asked them that question directly is I've, I've, I've asked them, you know, straight up, does our new president have anything to do with you coming? Why are you coming right now? Why was it not months ago? Why was it not a year ago? And nobody's kind of given me a direct concrete answer. They all keep saying now was the time. Now was just the time. Things in Venezuela are so bad. Now is the time. Nobody's straight up told us, you know, we're coming because of Joe Biden. Now, is that happening? Right. You, know, you just mentioned, you know, there's there's folks streaming in saying thank you, Joe Biden, in their shirts. So I'm sure that's some of it. But the folks we've been talking to, they're they're, they're telling us, you know, they, they felt now was the right time. And and you, you mentioned kind of the staggering difference in the numbers. There was only 17,000 in April of 2020. And people will say, oh, uh, there was a pandemic. There was COVID going on. So, of course, the numbers are going to be lower. So, OK, if you want to make more of a fair comparison, we can look at April 2019 under Trump when he was dealing with his own surge, right? Well, the numbers under Biden are still a 63% increase over the Trump surge. April 2019, it was about 109,000. April 2021, we're at 178,000. So if you're looking at surge to surge, Biden versus Trump, Biden still has a 63% increase over that. And there's no and there's no uh, no stopping him. At least they were trying to build a wall and trying to change the rules and roles in order to make it happen while meeting with these other countries. There's been no urgency. Bill Malusian with us now, Fox News correspondent station for the moment at the border. Bill, uh, who are these people? Uh, we know where they're coming from, but what why uh, uh, what are they saying they're hoping to do here? Uh, they look at they they want to just become residents. They want to be here separately. They're trying to meet family. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Most of them are trying to meet family. So basically, as soon as most of them come up the river, I ask them all the same question. Where are you from? And then they typically say Venezuela. And then I say, where are you going? And raise your hands if you have family here. Almost everybody raises their hands. And most have told us they're going to either Houston, Miami, or Atlanta. 
and th- those have been the three main areas where folks say they have family and that's where they're trying to get to. Um, now, it sounds like most of them are hoping to either claim asylum. Um, you know, one guy came up to me yesterday claiming that, you know, Venezuelan police had shot him and he lift, lifted up his shirt and showed me kind of like a bullet scar going through his side and, and out his rear end. Um, another guy, you, you might have seen the live shot where I asked, I asked the guy coming out of the water, why did you come? And he broke down in tears and started crying. He told us off camera, you know, 15 minutes after that, that both his parents had been killed in Venezuela and he came here with his sister. So the families all have different reasons for showing up here. Some of them, you know, look like very nice, very sweet families. Others are just single yep. single guys coming across the river. And literally just two miles down the road from where we've been doing these live shots, there's a, a we'll watch complete- you. We'll watch you again, Bill. Thank you. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You told me it was the right thing to do. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was... Ralph, I was... I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Malfa. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The Fonz wrong? Mouth, look. <laughs> there is a first time for everything, huh? Uh, and that is the point. The 1970 sitcom where 60, people, uh, 60 million people watched every week, where almost everyone could recite in the 1970s what happened on Happy Days. Remember when Fonz had to admit everyone wanted to be him, that he was wrong. Uh, that fits into our next guest's line of thinking, Adam Grant, organizational psychologist at Wharton School and best-selling author. Uh, his latest book is Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And especially after this year, the pandemic, everyone forced to do things you weren't do before, ever did before. If you're a performer, you're a home more than ever. You're not going to games. You're barely, for a while, we weren't even watching sports. Not, most people have changed their work habits. Some people don't go to work. Some people don't have a job. Rethinking everything. Adam Grant, uh, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your ideas came across at just the right time. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. That was a complete accident. Had no idea that we were all going to be rethinking so many fundamental assumptions during a pandemic. I was just frustrated that I had a hard time admitting when I was wrong, and so did everyone else that I knew. And it's so like wrong is one thing. The other thing is just to change. For example, like so many people uh, that don't go pro uh, but care about sports, you were a diver. And you said, I, you know, you identified as a diver. You worked hard and outworked people, and you had a great success. But what happened when you went to college? I found out that I couldn't beat people who were more talented than me by outworking them anymore. And all of a sudden, I'm stuck with, this is my identity, right? Everyone who knows me sees me as a diver. What, if I walk away from that, who am I? And after about a year of, of just crashing all over the pool and, and misery at 6 a.m. at practice, I finally said, you know what? Diving is something I do. It's not who I am. What I love about the sport is that it challenges me to grow and excel and try to contribute to the growth and excellence of my teammates. And those values I can pursue in lots of different things. So I'm going to look for other ways where I can grow, excel, and contribute. So a lot of people uh, see themselves in their job, and then they find out the job says, we're going to have to let you go. This pandemic made us cut costs or we're out of business. 
so people can identify with what you were forced to identify with. What did you find as you had to re-identify yourself? Did you find, was it scary? And what was the result? Yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable at first. I felt like I was, you know, I was walking away from something that I'd been good at for a long time, something that, you know, that other people appreciated and valued. Um, and especially, I think we live in a world where, you know, we, we put athletes on a pedestal, right? So even though I was, I was good at a fake sport <laughs> instead of one of our major sports, uh, you know, it, it still gave me status. And I think walking away from that forced me to, to recognize that I needed to be able to, you know, to, I guess, be proud of the things that, that I had achieved and worry a little bit less about what other people thought of me. And open up your mind to learning different things. You say one phrase that uh, you have to get comfortable with is when to quit and when to grit. So when to grind it out and work your way through it and when to say this is the payoff is not going to be worth the grind. Yeah, one of the, the most common traps we see people run into at work is called escalation of commitment to a losing course of action. It's where you make a choice, you get some feedback that it might not have worked out, right? maybe it's the wrong job or the wrong culture for you, and then instead of rethinking it, you double down and invest more because you want to convince yourself and everybody else that you made a good decision in the first place. And then, of course, you know, by the time it's, it's clear that it was the wrong call, it's too late. You feel like you've just invested too much. And I think the, you know, one of the big reasons we land in that trap is we are told never give up, right? We're told not to be quitters. And I think that there's, there's obviously a time and a place to persevere, but you don't want to stick around throwing good money after bad. Understood. Uh, so you also, you say we live in a country and society that favors confidence over competence. And do you have an example? Oh, lots of examples. I think that probably the clearest example is if you look at what happens uh, when people go into meetings at work, uh, it's usually the person who speaks with the most confidence who ends up driving the decision, right? So we listen to the people who sound authoritative, uh, who speak with a lot of, of certainty, instead of the people who may actually know what they're talking about. And one of the hallmarks of being an expert is being willing to say, I don't know. And I'm not sure, right? Because the more you know about something, the more you see the complexity and the nuance. And oftentimes, the very people who, who have all that knowledge have a hard time getting it across because they sound like they're tentative or they're equivocating or they're ambivalent. And that is actually a hallmark of how much they know. Very interesting, uh, because you have a few examples of that where um, uh, in your own life, you said that if you have a degree of humility, it works out. And you said that was part of the reason why you had an exercise where professors would do their version of Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets, take some of the bad feedback about their teaching and read it out loud. Why? <laughs> well, large, largely because we, we had a choice. We could continue to pretend that our classes were perfect, or we could acknowledge that we were always trying to, to improve them. And I got some pretty tough feedback when I first started teaching. I remember um, one student wrote that I was so nervous I was causing everyone else to shake in their seats. And you know, it, was, it, was, it was painful to read at first. But then I realized, you know what, I could spend all this time trying to prove myself and fool them into thinking that I'm comfortable, but they already know that I'm nervous. They can see it. If I admit it out loud, right, I'm actually showing that I'm secure enough in my strengths to acknowledge my weaknesses, and I can turn them into my coaches. And so a bunch of us got together and said, let's, let's read our tough feedback. We want to prove to students that not only are we open to hearing criticism, but we can take it. And I found that whenever I do that, the floodgates open, that when students hear me criticize myself out loud, that they, they bring problems and ideas, but also great suggestions and encouragement that they just didn't feel safe to speak about before. All right. We're talking with Adam Grant. Uh, he's an organizational psychologist. He wrote this book, Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. 
and being open enough to understand it. Adam, um, that was my subtitle and your subtitle. But, Adam, this is perfect for politics. Well, people are going to their own corners. We're ignoring Democrats or ignoring Republicans. We're ignoring a president and wish the other president was there or vice versa. How can you start opening yourself up to saying, well, those people over there might have some good ideas rather than walk past them, engage them? I think that's a great question. And, and frankly, it's a question we should all be asking more often. I think, for me, the starting point is to recognize that your heroes is not, are not as great as you think. And your villains are not as bad as you think. Right? Everyone's, everyone's complex. And I think it's so easy when, when we start to think like politicians to defend our tribe and attack the other side. Uh, what I would love people to do, actually, is, is go back to the, the way that, that Abraham Lincoln thought. Uh, he seems to be the one president that both sides can agree on. And I think one of the great moments uh, in Lincoln's history was he came into the White House convinced that if he abolished slavery, it would permanently tear the Union apart. How lucky are we that he changed his mind on that? He was not giving up on his values, right? He, he obviously believed in the American dream. He believed in freedom, but he did shift on his policies. And I think the, the principle here is to stick to your principles, but be flexible on your policies, because there may be ways of advancing your principles and your values that you haven't tested or explored yet. And to further even go that storyline, uh, he realized at that time, it doesn't matter what he thinks, the country would be divided forever if he did it. But two years later, he thought the country was ready and he was right. So timing is everything. He put his uh, principles on hold for a short time in order to ultimately win the battle. Yeah, I think that if Lincoln were alive today, there's a good chance that a lot of people would be calling him a flip-flopper. Right? And flip-flopping is when, when you change what you say to tell people what they want to hear. What Lincoln did was different. He learned. Right? He evolved. He paid attention to the timing and, and figured out, okay, this is the moment where I can actually pursue multiple principles as opposed to sacrificing one for another. And I think we need to give our politicians a little bit of leeway to do that, right? to say, I changed my mind. That could be a source of strength. That could be a, a recognition that you have discovered something new. And last time I checked, the point of learning is not to affirm what you already believe. It's to evolve what you believe. Very interesting. Um, so the other thing is, like, when people are sports fans, uh, they hate the other team. Do you think you can get a Yankee fan to be open about the Red Sox? I did, actually. <laughs> Tim Cunter and I ran some experiments where we tried to get Yankees fans to support the Red Sox and vice versa. And we found a lot of things that did work, uh, didn't work. But one thing that did was asking them to imagine that they had been born in the other city. Just thinking about if you're a Yankees fan, who do you think you would root for if you grew up in Boston? And all of a sudden, they said, you know what? It's possible that I could be a Red Sox fan. And maybe the people who, you know, who root for them, sort of an accident of birth and circumstance, they didn't, they didn't necessarily choose it. And there's more to those people than the one hateful belief that they hold. So do you believe, Adam, you know, the, the, we always were, everybody listening right now is in a class and there's the smartest kid in the class who got, didn't have to study, was always great from first grade, eighth grade, 12th grade. Well, that kid's valedictorian. He's so uh, smart. Having said that, is there something different? Is there something like an Elon Musk, a Thomas Edison, who says, you know, there's no light in here. I'm tired of lighting candles. I bet you I could do some with electricity. Elon Musk says, and this hasn't worked yet, but I'm tired of Los Angeles traffic. I wonder if I could uh, dig a tunnel and put cars on these tunnels. And it's just a way of thinking where some people say this is traffic. I have to deal with it. Others say there's got to be a way. Is that a way of thinking, or is these people just geniuses that we can't relate to? 
I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, it would you know it would help to have a little bit of Elon Musk genius if you know if you want to solve big problems in the world. But I think what you're pointing to is the nonconformity that so many schools stamp out of kids. Um, there's a classic study of creative architects looking at the Frank Lloyd Wrights of their of their time. What's different about them from their peers who are technically skilled but not as original? And it turns out that one of the differences is the creative architects had spikier grades. In high school, they got A's in the classes they found interesting and C's and D's in the ones that they didn't. Uh, and I think that what that really reflects is they were not necessarily that interested in succeeding within the system. They were trying to figure out, how do I shake up and improve the system? And I think that in too many schools, excellence demands conformity. And we know in life that, that excellence actually demands originality. So I think that's, that's a skill set that we could obviously teach. Some people do it more naturally than others, but there's no reason why you can't improve from your baseline. You know, you, th- you think about it, too, with Steve Jobs. I'm not going to college. Um, it's taking too much money for my parents, but he will audit some classes. And I believe uh, 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 Bill Gates, the same thing. He did, guy didn't go to college. He did things his own way, thought out of the box, a little bit much more uh, affluent, obviously. Uh, but Adam Grant, people listening right now who have lost their jobs or uh, got demoted or they have to work out of their house, their identity is no longer linked with their occupation. What are a couple of things you could do for them right now? Give them ideas to think about how to reorganize their thinking. You talk about this term called cognitive retrenchment. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things we see over and over again is that when people gain a lot of experience in a field, they start to think too narrowly about what their skills are and what they can contribute. So this idea of cognitive entrenchment is I take for granted assumptions that need to be questioned. Um, we see it, for example, with, uh, with highly experienced accountants who are actually slower to adapt to new tax laws than novices uh, because they're used to the way they've always done things. And I think one of the silver linings of this pandemic, and obviously it's been such a tragedy for so many people with the loss of life and the loss of jobs and the economy is struggling, is that it has given people the space to rethink who they are and what they do. Um, LinkedIn actually just published some data showing that over half of people expect their next job to be striking out on their own. I think we're going to see a wellspring of entrepreneurial activity. And so I think this is a perfect time to run a career checkup or a life checkup. Just like you would go to the doctor once or twice a year, even if nothing is wrong, you want to pause and say, okay, what are the skills that I have? Where could those add value? And what are the skills that I want to learn in the next year so that I can get a little bit more control and freedom in my own career? So re, uh, revisit your goals, revisit your relationship beliefs, revisit your ideas and ideals. Yeah, and also rethink your network a little bit. One of the mistakes that people make when they lose a job is that they narrow their networks. They tend to reach out only to their strongest ties for help because those are the people they trust, their close friends, their family members, maybe a couple of colleagues. The data actually tell us, though, that you're more likely to get a job through weak ties, those more distant acquaintances, because they travel in different circles, they meet different people, they know different things, and they can open up opportunities. And I think the pandemic's made it a lot harder for us to to reach out to those weak ties because we don't run into them every day, and we need to be a little more proactive in doing that. It's so interesting, too, Adam, because you say, you know, you were a diver, you recreate your identity, you become a teacher, you take some things, but you also have a passion to be a magician. And you still do it all, right? And, and do you find that that adds to your enjoyment? Even if you're not the best musician, uh, magician in the world, you like pursuing it? Yeah, I, you know, technically retired, but I really enjoy having it as a hobby. There's, uh, there's actually some new evidence showing that having a little side hustle uh, is a great source of confidence and mastery when things aren't going well in your job. 
And we've all had those days right, where we feel like I just can't do anything right. And having something that I can turn to that I feel like I'm decent at and that I can get absorbed in and find that flow experience where I'm in the zone really helps to rejuvenate my energy. Uh, the name of the book is called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Uh, Adam Grant also has a TED Talk out there. Uh, Adam, it's been very educational. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this and research it. Thank you. Hope you don't rethink that. <laughs> I promise you I won't. But I should if I'm paying attention. one 408 7669 Back with you in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Going forward, uh, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, the nation needs a party that uh, that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward, and I plan to lead the fight to do that. Uh, I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, we have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution, uh, and I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. Well, do you feel betrayed by today's vote? I do not. I think that uh, it is uh, an indication of where the Republican Party is, uh, and I think that the party uh, is in a place that we've got to bring it back from, and we've got to get back to a position where uh, we are a party that can fight for conservatives. We cannot be dragged backward uh, by uh, the very dangerous lies of a former president. Thank, Thank you. Very you. Much. Uh, she's focused on January 6th, and she's focused on the election. She said it's not yeah, – he did not uh, win the election, and I agree. I've not seen anything to show that. But having said that, I look at this four, uh, past four years, the way he's going to beginning to help out with 2022, and I can look past January 6th. I'm not sure that Donald Trump's going to run or would he win. I don't know anyone who's going to run against him, but Liz Cheney's now going to make it her mission like Adam Kinzinger. Uh, she's going to be just on CNN all the time. That's what she's going to do. But no, there's no Trump supporters there anyway. Here's what Chris Christie told me last night, who's been a critic of the, pres the former president before. Cut 25. It's pretty clear to me that Liz Cheney doesn't want to be in leadership anymore. I think the stuff she's been doing is telling everybody that she doesn't want to be in leadership anymore because she won a vote previously by a rather large margin and then continued to try to pick fights with people inside the caucus. That's not the way you say leader of the caucus. And I think Elise Stefanik, let's remember something. She comes from a swing district in New York State. Obama won that district twice and Trump won it twice. So this is a very swing district. I think Elise is going to bring great vision, great understanding standing from her constituents and a new voice into the leadership uh, group. And I think it's a good thing for Republicans. I think she'll win the election and I think she'll be a very good leader. Yeah, I just don't think uh, I thought Mitch McConnell probably handed the best and uh, Bill Cassidy, too. You know exactly where he stood on January 6th. You know that he, they don't agree with the president to continue pushing that he was robbed. But he doesn't bring it up every day. Senator Cassidy doesn't bring it up every day. And Cass Cassidy voted to impeach him. But he's not making a part of his platform. I think it would be a big mistake for Liz Cheney to bring it up every day. In fact, she's going to have a hard fight to keep her two years, even though she's smart, competent, and conservative. Who voted with the president over 90% of the time? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast.
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, it is going to be a great hour. Dr. Marty McCary has been scrambled to help us out with the origin of the virus and, well, as the CDC gets raked over the coals yesterday, and justifiably so, we got to get the right message on masks, on distancing, on camps and school, uh, on walking around your office and walking around the streets. I want to get it from a doctor who's not politically oriented. Is that indeed possible today? And Senator Bill Cassidy, uh, like some Republicans, he voted to impeach the president on the second time, but he's not out there trying to destroy the president, uh, the former president and his legacy. And he hasn't even ruled out voting for him again. But Liz Cheney moments ago uh, made it official. She is ousted or they voted her out. She's ousted as the number three person on the House side. At least Stefanik will run for that spot. I'm sure she'll get it because she was endorsed by Kevin McCarthy. So a lot of those uh, theatrics are going on in Capitol Hill. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What I meant is um, uh, precisely that. The border is closed. Uh, We are expelling uh, single adults and families under the Title 42 authority that rests with uh, the Center for Disease Control. Uh, There it is. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, uh, border turns from crisis to cataclysmic as more children, families, and single males from an array of nations, including Venezuela and Haiti, pour through our southern border. Live on camera on our network, Secretary Mayorkas is clueless. Number two. Let me emphasize that much as there was no cause for, say, hoarding toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic, there should be no cause for hoarding gasoline at the pipeline should be substantially operational by the end of this week. Yeah. Uh, Secretary Granholm, right. Long line, short supplied, and overdose of anxiety as the colonial pipeline remains offline after a massive cyber attack Friday. Outrage is now taking root as the White House response looks anemic and it's revealed that the pipeline was protected by outdated Microsoft cyberware. Unbelievable. Number one. Dr. Fauci, do you still support NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? You are entirely and completely incorrect. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research... I don't favor gain-of-function research in China. You are saying things that are not correct. Just tell the truth. That's my message to Anthony Fauci, CDC director, when it comes to where COVID-19 came from and the risks of getting it now. We have zero faith in your direction and for good reason. We will share with you what we know to oppose what we don't know. And we'll begin talking to Dr. Marty McCarry about that now. Fox News contributor, surgeon and a professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins Policy School of Public Health. Dr. McCarry, first to the sparring session. It's a little bit complicated. But Dr. Fauci, in my view, from what the research I've done, was not being fully transparent there, was he? No, he wasn't. And where's the humility? Because the NIH was giving money to the Wuhan Virology Lab. And we can argue whether or not the goal of those experiments was gain of function. But why are we funding bat virus research in China? We've got good research in the United States that we need to fund. I mean, how about funding 
you know, the cause of Alzheimer's and environmental exposures to cancer and food as medicine, all the great ideas that come out of Johns Hopkins and Harvard and all my colleagues nationwide, we submit these complicated big grant proposals and we don't get funded. And here's where the money's going to. Why do you think that we need to know the origins of this virus? People believe that we do it just to point figures and say, aha, it's your fault. But for me, it's beyond that. What about for you as a doctor? Well, look, I can tell you when a family loses a loved one, they sometimes want to come in six months later or a year later just to talk through the cancer or what their loved one went through for closure. People need closure. When someone dies, sometimes folks need closure. And guess what? Millions of people have died worldwide, half a million in the United States. And I think people want some closure. Um, When we have a lot of clues as to what happened, and it's pretty plausible that there was a lab leak. That's my personal opinion. To me, I'm convinced. I have no doubt. People want some closure. This is the biggest liability case in the history of the world. And I think people deserve to be angry right now. And what I've learned from people like you is, how are we supposed to stop the next one if we don't know how this one started? Because we certainly weren't ready to stop it. <laughs> yeah, I was amused the other day. Someone um, was proposing a business that sort of was an early de- early warning detection system. I was like, we didn't. If we had all the warning in the world, we still screwed this one up because our public health officials, their primary job is to warn us of a pandemic. And you had Dr. Fauci basically two months late to every single public statement that he should have made prior. SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID spreads exactly like SARS-CoV-1, exactly. Same mode of transmission, aerosolized virus. And yet we're scratching our heads. The NIH, ironically, while they're funding research in Wuhan in the virology lab, never spent a dime of their $40 billion last year asking, do masks work? Unbelievable. How many people are asymptomatic? Nuts. How does it spread? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy with the stuff, our lifestyle. Uh, There's people like you who do this for a living, and there's people like us who have to go with what you say. So it's wearing a mask, distance apart, I can't go to work, can't ride a train, can't hop on a plane. Businesses got to adjust. They don't want to get sued. Restaurants can't open. Bartenders can't bartend. So livings are destroyed because we're going by the science. And when we find out the science hasn't even been researched and our best doctors, allegedly, have no curiosity towards where this started, I find it beyond maddening. Here's a little bit more of the sparring yesterday. Cut two. We do support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're, you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. And we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter how many times you say it, it didn't happen. So, I mean, we don't know if it wasn't happening, but he keeps qualifying it, saying the uh, the Wuhan Institute. Are you doing it elsewhere? Well, the NIH funded a consortium, which was a grant that named the Wuhan Institute as one of the sites in the consortium. So what Dr. Fauci is saying is basically we didn't fund the lab. They funded the consortium that that gave the money to the lab all in the application. This is all public record. 
I mean, I've been a part of many NIH applications. You have to list every single person, investigator, their background, why they can do the research. But you're getting a little sneak peek, Brian, into the dysfunctional bureaucracy that is America's NIH. $40 billion. And rather than studying the cure of cancer and other great ideas out there, they're characterizing bat viruses in China. Why are we doing that? There's a million viruses on planet Earth. About 1% have crossed over into the human species, okay? Why are we trying to characterize all these viruses that live in the animal kingdom? There's risk. Laboratory errors are common. Talk to any researcher at any institution. I've been at labs all across the country, and lab errors happen especially with aerosolized virus, respiratory viruses. Like the labs run experiments late into the night. Yep. It's often staffed by junior people. I mean, who's in the lab at 2 a.m. running the experiments? Some kid that wants to go to medical school. It's not the senior experienced researcher. Lab errors are very common. So the NIH gave money to Echo Health, um, and the NIH Echo Health, um, NIH gave Echo Health $3.7 billion. Echo Health to the Wuhan lab gave them $598,500. That was in 2014 alone. I'm sure this is going to reveal something else about the money trail. But to me, it seems like legitimate questions. We're trying to get to the bottom of it. Instead of telling Anthony Fauci why you're so great, they're asking him penetrating questions. And you have other networks accusing Rand Paul of the worst conspiracy uh, questions. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how parsing many times words, you're parsing you say words, it, there it was didn't research. It's like ripped from the pages why of is QAnon. Doing I mean, this it to really, I don't know why he does. It's really strange. He, it's more than strange. It's disturbing. It's part of a bigger picture. Has a doctor at the front of his name. Uh, for <laughs> some reason, uh, seems to go further out there than anybody else. Does he deserve to be mocked? Look, I had dinner with Rand Paul once, and we talked a lot about medical research. He's one of the smartest doctors I know, okay, because he knows both medicine and public policy. You don't – this stuff is not – it's not a question whether or not Echo Health snuck money out to the Wuhan lab. lab. It's in the grant application, which is public record, and if you look at the aim of that grant, they said they were using the money for the Wuhan lab to characterize different coronaviruses – why would you do that? Even, even let's just say there was no gain-of-function research, which I think there was, but it's a goal that's hard to pin down. Let's, let's say there wasn't. Why are we giving money to characterize coronaviruses in a lab in China? That should spark outrage among every American out there. And there's one of these scientists is this so-called bat woman. She was assessed by bats and, and the danger of, of, of whatever you guys do with, uh, with bats and the, how they carry diseases. Uh, in her research, uh, the scientist, the Wuhan Institute, she acknowledges that money came from Dr. Fauci and his institute because she thanked him in the footnotes of the report that she ended up doing. The other thing that's driving me nuts is what came out in a study, and the New York Times exposed it, that there's less than 1% chance of catching this virus and transferring this virus out and about outside. And they knew about it. And here's what Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who to me is in way over her head, 
responding to that report, cut six. With regard to the New York Times piece this morning, there's a meta-analysis from Journal of Infectious Diseases that was published in November, I believe, where the top-line result of all, collabor- all studies that were included in the systematic review said less than 10% of cases were um, transmitted outdoors. It is that meta-analysis that combines science from all sorts of, um, all different science from, from many different places. I think over 19 studies were included. The top-line result was less than 10%, published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases, one of our top infectious disease journals. That is where that came from. It was a published study that synthesized study from many places. Well, a couple of things. It was less than 10%, but no, it also was less than 10%, less than 1%. So it, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't transparent and obvious. We're out there playing, in, playing sports in masks, walking around to out and outdoor malls with masks on. That should stop now. I feel bad for Dr. Walensky. She, you know, she's a smart doctor. She's going down in flames. I mean, this looks pathetic. She's citing a study that says less than 10% and the real number. Actually, if you read the study in the Journal of Infectious Diseases, it's really 0.1%. Now, the authors floated, you know, around 1%. It's really 0.1. And that's consistent with the study out of Ireland that found that only one case out of 1,245 had any link to possible outdoor transmission. So that's the real number. It's less than one in a thousand, but that happens to be less than 10%. It's also less than 50%. But you don't say, oh, because there's a less than 50% chance we're going to make track and field athletes in high school wear a mask and watch them pass out from carbon dioxide you know, inhalation. Uh, I th- it's it's pathetic. It looks bad for the so-called movement to you know bring science and listen to the science. Uh, the American people are they're seeing through this right now. You don't need me to interpret what's happening. They perceive a low community risk of the infection, and they're correct right now. And and I think it's it's really bad because the credibility of public health is going down the toilet. Absolutely. And I'm going to take calls next. And doctor, another doctor, Senator Bill Cassidy, coming up after that. My exit question is what came down yesterday. Uh, the CDC or the, the FDA has now said it's okay for 12 to 17-year-olds to get vaccinated. A lot of parents are listening to us right now. What do you suggest for them? Look, if the kid has risk factors, I would get it. But let, let me put things in context. Six out of 10 adults in America right now have vaccinated immunity. And of those that don't, half have natural immunity. So eight out of 10 people walking around in the community have immunity. Now, if you ignore natural immunity and don't talk about it, like Drs. Walensky and Fauci and our, you know, our government doctors, then it's a much more dire situation. How do you get to 85% if you're ignoring natural immunity? Well, you got to get kids vaccinated and you have to have mandates and you have to demonize those who are hesitant, even though some for good reason. And so that's the calculus that changes the path entirely. Whether or not one accepts natural immunity changes things entirely. Look, I think if the kid's high risk, it's, it's, their kids 12 to 15 are physiologically similar to kids that are 16 and older. Got it. So you could, you could do it uh, fearlessly if you chose, worry-free? Yeah, and look, I, I, yes, I would. And even if the kid's healthy, they don't have risk factors, you may want to consider getting it, not because the kid's at risk of dying of COVID. That's infinitesimally small on kids. It's because of the inflammatory syndrome. That has happened thousands of times 
during the pandemic, and it could prevent that condition, which which can be uncomfortable. Got it. Dr. Martin McCarry, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, Voice of Reason. Uh, When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Keep in mind, you can get the podcast anytime, briankillmeadshow.com. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It should bother every American that our largest pipeline to the east, 43% of all oil and gas for the eastern United States, could be hammered by some private sector criminal gang. And we have no idea who they are where they are, how to get them, uh, how to make it too expensive for some other gang to do it. Uh, these things all are compounding. And I think that uh, another couple of months, you're going to see a real sense of dismay that this is a Democratic Party that is uh, hanging on to power by a very, very thin... And by the way, Politico says uh, GRU, which is the uh, Kremlin Foreign Intelligence Unit, is responsible for this, at the very least green light of this attack on the colonial pipeline that has inconvenienced uh, 17 states, caused long gas lines for people panicking and some legitimate shortages, especially in North Carolina. It's 5,500 miles long, goes from New Jersey to Texas, and because of the irresponsible cyber uh, uh, cyber protection wear that they have, uh, date, it's dated Microsoft. They are now susceptible to a cyber attack from this, uh, from this renegade organization uh, called the Dark Side. So now we're all convenienced because they don't want to be responsible, and the federal government, previous administrations included, have to come up with some cyber software uh, that's universal and authentic and good. Doug, listen on KLIN in Nebraska and Lincoln. Doug, what's on your mind? Quick. Hey, uh, as far as your pipeline, I still say that's part of a Russia. He Biden wants to make a Russian uh, Cold War start up again, and it's still China. I don't think he does. Even want though it's to, coming out yeah, of Korea, it, yeah. it's, it's backed by China. It's not coming out of Korea. It's coming out of Russia. Uh, but I don't think that Biden wants a Cold War again. Uh, Ron, K S L M. Ron. Brother. Okay, my brother Brian, I'm going to hit three points. Number one, I had a couple of kids that ran a female collapse because of wearing a mask, bringing too much CO2, higher levels than almost our oxygen levels. Number two, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci, if we had a small faction going back to colonial, going back to our uh, cowboy and Indian times, uh, we, you know, it would be on the blankets. With uh, all these wearing masks in these homeless Ron, I'll have to hold you at two. Thanks so much. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. One other warning, I guess, uh, let me emphasize that much as there um, was no cause for, say, Hoarding toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic, there should be no cause for hoarding gasoline, uh, especially in light of the fact that the pipeline should be substantially operational by the end of this week and over the weekend. We want to encourage people, it's not that we have a gasoline shortage, it's that we have this supply crunch and that things will be back to normal soon. 
She went on to say that the pipeline is best because now we got to load all this energy, the oil and gas, and uh, onto trucks, and we don't have enough truck drivers. And then people say, what about rails? And she said, no, the pipeline is best. Really? From the Biden administration, that's rich. The pipeline is best. The ones they want to destroy, the ones they took offline like XL. Senator Bill Cassidy joins us now. He's on Energy and Natural Resources and the Finance Committee uh, and everything else. Senator, can we start there? Uh, this pipeline, 17 states affected. How are we doing? How are we progressing on this? Um, they will get it back online. It gives the American people a taste of the Biden energy agenda. Of necessity, they're telling us that we're going to pay more for energy because they're going to restrict domestic production of oil and gas. Ultimately, that will, that will translate into higher gasoline prices. We know that. This is a taste of what's to come if these guys get their agenda. It looks like it. Uh, how rich is it, too, as I just uh, quote myself, and I put this on Twitter, when she said the pipeline is the best way for this, uh, for this uh, energy to move? You know, one of the maddening things about the Keystone XL pipeline cancellation, aside from the thousands of jobs canceled, was that the Obama White House, the State Department said that by building the pipeline, you lower global greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if you're trucking it, if you're barging it, if you're railing it, you are increasing transportation emissions. You're increasing global greenhouse gas emissions. When they don't allow pipelines because they're saving the earth, they're actually hurting the earth. No kidding. And that was a concession on their part that that is true. So with this pipeline, according to the Politico, it looks like the GRU, which is the Kremlin's Foreign Intelligence Unit, is behind this. Uh, whether they gave it the green light, the wink and a nod, but they were fully aware of this. That is not what the president said. And they have vehemently denied that. But dark side, the ransomware, is believed to be in Russia and linked by the FBI to the Colonial Pipeline incident. They are trying to distance themselves from it, saying it is a renegade offshoot of their, uh, of their ransom organization. What, do you, what can you tell us, Senator Cassidy? Look at what someone does. Don't look at their lips. And so the GRU, it's an it's a, it's a environment where the GRU has total control. They would be able to punish people if it were not sanctioned, my feeling. And I think internationally people are testing Biden and his administration. You know, it's interesting. People said Trump was easy on Russia. He's the guy that gave missiles to Ukraine to fight the Russians. Now we'll see how this administration responds. He's the one who pushed back and said, hey, Germany, you're not going to put that hub of that pipeline from Russia because they control the energy supply for all of Europe. You want me to watch your back with American and NATO troops, but you're getting your oil and gas from the people I'm protecting you from? Uh, that Nord Stream pipeline, and that's still being debated now. That was Donald Trump that stood up there. He also took out those uh, renegades, those militia members who showed up in Syria uh, and to take out our troops. He killed them all. I gave you the know, green light to kill you know, them all. Brian, if somebody wants to hear something, if somebody wants to hear something amusing, I shouldn't say amusing, but it's online. You can listen to the English translation of what the Russians were saying when our troops went after them. It was like holy feces. It was just like, oh my gosh, and other words that you can't say on the radio. Uh, it, it actually kind of does you proud. Our guys were so prepared. 
as usual. Uh, we had our best on the ground there. I really wish the president had not taken them out and pulled them back. And now U.N. troops want to get on the ground in Syria. And the on uh, July 1st, as of there, the Russians said you are no longer allowed to bring in U.N. or any coalition troops into uh, serving and providing aid to those living outside Syrian government reach. That's going to be a showdown time, isn't it? It will be, and that's that's all the more reason why we have to be there. The only way you beat a bully is to stand up is to stand up to the bully, and these guys are challenging are challenging uh, President Biden. So, what about this uh, this pipeline? It did not have sophisticated uh, sophisticated uh, infrastructure, anti uh, cyber uh, anti ransomware um, software. They were using a vulnerable Microsoft Exchange service that they say is outdated. This report in the New York Times says there are several other issues and researchers characterized overall this pipeline had a lack of cybersecurity sophistication. When a private company has so much of national security and Americans, vulnerable Americans as their customers, should they be allowed to come up with their own cybersecurity? There should be an interface, and Congress has tried to promote this, between the federal and the private sector. And demands upon the private sector to be cyber secure are reasonable demands. By the way, we have been infiltrated in multiple ways by cyber thieves from overseas, China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, uh, and they've been in our government. We saw that a few months ago where they were actually in our government servers. So this is something which should be a national security priority. It is not partisan. It is something that goes to business. It goes to the federal government. And, we, and, and we've passed legislation to allow the communication between the two to better protect the both. I'm sure you heard, and you're a doctor too, like Rand Paul, um, you, the, the exchange with Rand Paul and, and Anthony Fauci. But this wasn't over masks. This wasn't over distancing. This was over how this virus started. And the lack of candor is disturbing. When you bring this stuff up, they say you're a QAnon person or you're a conspiratorial. But Jamie Metzl is a progressive. He's a WHO advisor. You might have seen him on 60 Minutes. He joined me last night, and he said, now we're starting to ask questions about how this virus started. And if we don't get answers, we can't have any hope of stopping the next one. Here's what he said to me, cut 11. We should be demanding answers. And the first thing that we should be doing is demanding that China end its massive cover-up. From day one, what they have been doing is destroying samples, hiding records, imprisoning citizen journalists. They have a universal gag order on scientists, making it illegal for them to say or write anything about the origins of the pandemic. So we need to be demanding the answers. And the reason why it's so important is the same reason why we try to understand why every plane crashes. Now, it's not that we can save that plane, but when we understand what went wrong, that gives us the upper hand of preventing that from happening again. If we don't get to the bottom of this, we are at risk for another pandemic that could be even far worse than this one. Is he right, Dr. Cassidy? Absolutely. I spoke to a fellow who was an American who was living in China during the pandemic, and he told me that what the Chinese are being told is that Americans imported it into China. Unbelievable. This is not a government. The Chinese government is not a government which wishes the truth to be out. We also know from press reports several months ago that uh, that UN, the U.S. inspectors were at the Wuhan laboratory and were very concerned with how they were handling specimen. 
Now, you've got some data points in here that certainly deserve to be pulled upon, if you will, to just kind of pull that thread and see where it leads. I absolutely agree we need to thoroughly understand. I don't trust the WHO to do it. And the WHO doesn't trust their own report. They came out and said, we're not convinced we got the answers here. And I'm just paraphrasing. So whatever you want to say about Tetros, he sold out to China. You're probably right. If China put him in there and George Bush at the time was distracted and didn't really care who was running the WHO, even though we give the bulk of the money. But China picked him and he's sitting there on China's pleasure and he still couldn't sign off on this final report. But for everybody at home, non-scientists like me and non-doctors, unlike Senator Cassidy, this is what they tell us happened. They hold that a bat carrying a coronavirus infected some other creature, perhaps a pa- pangolin, and the pangolin may have already been sick with a different coronavirus. And out of the conjunction and the commingling of these two diseases within the pangolin, a new disease, highly infectious to humans, evolved. Okay, I want to keep asking questions if you don't mind. Yeah, um, we need clearly that is. That is, that is possible. That is possible. There are other possibilities as well. And to, to the point of the fellow that you quoted earlier, we would like to know as much as, as much as possible what occurred, not for this incident per se, but to make sure it does not happen in the future. Uh, I think um, – well, I'll stop there. I'll stop there, Brian. Uh, you know, but guys like you uh, are hard to dispute. They're not going to say Bill Cassidy, Dr. Bill Cassidy, is coming up with conspiracy theories because you have too much schooling and education to be dismissed. So I think that you have your extremely valuable role here if you pursue it, and you're a serious person who people don't look at as a uh, necessarily a politician first. Uh, that's just my impression. But Senator Cassidy, moments ago, Liz Cheney uh, was ousted as the number three in the House. Here's what she said. Going forward, uh, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, The nation needs a party that that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward, and I plan to lead the fight to do that. Uh, I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure Uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, We have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. Uh, And I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. Now, you, like Liz Cheney, voted to impeach uh, after January 6th. Do you feel the same way? Um, well, I'm not sure in terms of we do – there's a lot in there. We absolutely feel like we need a Republican Party, which is committed to conservative values that will bring it forward. Uh, as regards the president being our uh, returning to power, he lost. We lost the House. We lost the Senate. We lost the presidency in four years. Hasn't happened since Herbert Hoover. Parties and elections are about winning. And so if you just want to brass tax it, we need to win. We can see that voters in swing districts did not swing for the Republican Party. They swung away. Whatever, I, I supported the president's policies. I was all on board. Uh, one of the senators that voted with the most often. But parties are about winning. And unfortunately, over the last four years, we had a track record of losing. We need to win going forward. But if you break it down, he got more votes than anybody else in the history of the Republican Party. The US, but no one thought you had a shot at the House. You're within five seats. 
And if it wasn't for the ridiculous actions, I believe, of the president and others in Georgia, you probably would have kept the Senate when almost nobody thought you would. That includes Joni Ernst winning, Susan Collins winning. Uh, So if you just look back and say we lost, that's one thing. But if you look at the numbers, it's pretty astounding, especially after a pandemic in which the president couldn't really campaign and actually got the virus and had to be hospitalized a couple of months before. If you look inside the numbers— it really wasn't the disaster that people like Rahm Emanuel bring up. Uh, there's something to that, but close only counts in, in horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, you got to win. And a lot of the folks we lost in Georgia are really Republican voters. And, and, and it's kind of widely conceded, as you just did, that the president's actions were responsible for us to lose Georgia. Republicans are about winning. If we're going to win, we can't say, oh, my gosh, we got more votes than anybody else in Republican history, but 7 million less than the Democrat. You know, that 7 million is the difference between Biden's policies and our policies. We got to be 7 million ahead, not 7 million behind. Right. Uh, if he's a nominee, would you vote for him? Uh, he's not going to be our nominee. OK, uh, I know you believe that. We'll talk another 100 times before that. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Senator Bill Cassidy, I think you and Mitch McConnell have the right approach. Uh, where we know where you stand, uh, but it's not an everyday thing to talk about President Trump, where I think with Liz Cheney, she just could not turn that page. So, Sir, Brian, we got to listen to both sides of the of the party. we got to listen to those who agree with Liz and those who disagree with Liz if we're going to win in two years. we got to be a party which listens and a party which comes together. Do you have hope going into the meeting with the in the Oval Office with the uh, uh, with the Republicans meeting with the president today on infrastructure? Do you have hope that something's going to get done? If he's talking about infrastructure, as in roads, bridges, waterways, and airports, absolutely. If he's talking about a trillion dollars for stuff that has nothing to do with infrastructure, uh, if he has not moved off on that, we're in, we're in big trouble. It's not going to happen, then. Senator Cassie, thank you. Thank you. one 408 I'm going to take your calls in just a moment. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot of times, people are reduced to the dumbest thing they ever did. Like one time, I smoked uh, weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. (laughs) And now, all the time I hear, Elon Musk, all he ever does is smoke weed on podcasts. Like I go from podcast to podcast, lighting up joints. Uh, It happened once. It's like reducing O.J. Simpson to murderer. (laughs) That was one time. Fun fact, O.J. also hosted the show in 79. (laughs) And again, in 96, killed both times. Yeah, that's a little risky, but I'm sure he's not writing that. That's Elon Musk. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Elon Musk, through 7.3 million viewers, is hosted SNL. And all the controversy around it probably helped get it. Uh, primetime last week, CBS was the most watched. NBC second with 3 million. ABC with 3 million. Uh, so Elon Musk, 7.3 million. The third most watched episode from this season. The first was Dave Chappelle. The second was Chris Rock. Yeah, it was different. It was nice to see something 
Yeah, he was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still don't understand why people are resentful of him. But a comment he made on the SNL News Weekend Update desk actually uh, affected cryptocurrency. It Next. Did. Employees are grappling with the re-entry anxiety. Pandemic anxieties are entering a new phase as more employers say come back to work. Why it matters, some workers are struggling to rearrange their routines yet again and don't have the flexibility. Uh, plus, some are fearful. Uh, that is something you hear a lot, right? It is. And I think the two of us, really, a lot of, we're in the office, but there are so many people who have never really left their house. Which is crazy. I concur. Uh, you know, see a therapist if you have coverage, whatever, you got to come back to work. Um, if you can work it out at home, and that's fine. I think in the long run, it's going to hurt the effectiveness of these businesses. And, man, all these buildings in Midtown Manhattan are all empty. Mm-hmm. And then all the stores that, you know, rely on the workers to buy lunch and whatnot, too. Colin Kaepernick buying, uh, publishing his own book. It's called Abolish the Police. Here's one book I have no problem walking past. The Movement for a Future Without Policing in Prisons. Yes. Quote, the omnipresent threat of premature death on the hands and knees and chokeholds, tasers, and guns of law enforcement has only further ingrained its anti-black foundation into the institution of anti-policing. Is, he, is that a book you want to buy? It's not, but you know we're going to be playing the audio when he's on every show getting interviewed and hailed as a hero. He doesn't do much press. Maybe he won't. He'll have to if he has a book out now. Urban Meyer says Tim Tebow looked so good during his recent trial with the Jaguars. His staff told him, try out. He looked like you're 18 years old. Listen to his former college coach, now coach of the Jags, Urban Meyer. We have not signed Tim. We asked to see if he could work out with a couple of our coaches. They came back to me and said, wow, this guy's in incredible shape. Then I went another time and watched him try him out. And they said, go work on these things. He comes back later. They try him out again. I'm not there. And they come in and they said, wow, you know, this guy's ball skills. He's a great athlete. He, he wants to play tight end. He's going to get a shot. Let's see it. Tim Tebow. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Martha McCallum, who had that huge interview. We should probably pull some of those sound bites you did already. Uh, sound bites from uh, the Randy Weingarten, who's head of the teachers' union, made huge news this week because she sat down, to her credit, and tried to defend her actions and infiltration at the CDC, as well as keeping all these teachers out of school, saying it's too dangerous, which I find unacceptable, and I think you do too. We'll talk to them, but I'm mostly going to be able to take your phone calls because I want I see the lines are jammed. And I want to have your voices heard. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What I meant is um, uh, precisely that. The border is closed. Uh, We are expelling uh, single adults and families under the Title 42 authority that rests with uh, the Center for Disease Control. Uh, There you go. Uh, The Secretary Mayorkas, what an embarrassment says the border's closed. The border turns from crisis to cataclysmic as more children, families, and single males from an array of nations, including Venezuela and Haiti, pour through the southern border. How do I know? We are actually watching it on a daily basis. In some cases, our reporters are helping because they're slipping back into the Rio Grande River. Do you believe this? Number two. Let me emphasize that much as there was no cause for, say, 
hoarding toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. There should be no cause for hoarding gasoline. The pipeline should be substantially operational by the end of this week. Yeah, let's see. Jennifer Granholm, who came out to say the pipeline is the safest thing. That pipeline's been shut down since last Friday thanks to a cyber attack from a group inside Russia. Long line, short supply, and an overdose of anxiety at the Colonial Pipeline remains offline after a massive cyber attack. Outrage is now taking root as the White House's response looks anemic, and it's revealed that the pipeline was protected by outdated Microsoft software. Number one. This virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how parsing many times words, you're parsing you say words, it, there it was research. It's like ripped from the pages Why of QAnon. Yeah, QAnon, what are you talking about? Just tell the truth. That's why I messaged Anthony Fauci and CDC director when it comes to where the COVID-19 uh, virus came from and the risks of getting it now. We have zero faith in your direction and for good reason. We will share with you what we know as opposed to what they want you to know and what other channels are telling you. I'm watching John Kerry, and Bill Hemmer brought this out on television. John Kerry's testifying on Capitol Hill about his ridiculous relationship with uh, Foreign Minister Zarif of Iran and how he sold us out four, uh, four years ago and then worked behind the back to cut the knees out of his Secretary of State, his successor, and Donald Trump in France as well as in Iran. He's got to go lie his way through that. But he's wearing a mask. Why are you wearing a mask? Everyone in Congress, assistant from the most powerful to the least, have been offered a vaccine. If you don't have a vaccine, I'm not wearing a mask because you don't want to get a vaccine. That's up to you. Why are you wearing a mask, Anthony Fauci? Everyone's been vaccinated. Don't tell me you care. Why are you wearing a mask? And now we find out that through outdoor transmission, there is less than 1% chance, a 0.1% chance, of getting this virus. Now, wait a second. That's dramatically different than we were told. For the last 12 months, 14 months, we were told stay indoors. Don't go outside without a mask. It's too dangerous. After the first two months telling us not to wear a mask. And then we find out that they knew all along that there's almost no chance of getting this virus outside. Wait a second. You told me no kids can take gym. Okay. Number two, you told me no kids can play sports. If they do play sports, they better wear a mask. And now you find out it's impossible to get it. Now, think about that. Why are we continuing to be lied to? And it was Susan Collins that hears Dr. Rochelle Walensky say this. Now, this is a report in the New York Times. And Dr. Rochelle Walensky, I won't play all of it, Eric, but here's some of it. Cut six. With regard to the New York Times piece this morning, there's a meta-analysis from Journal of Infectious Diseases that was published in November, I believe, where the top-line result of all, collabor- all studies that were included in the systematic review said less than 10% of cases were uh, um, transmitted outdoors. So, which important term is less than 10%. So the New York Times looked into this and said, well, how much less? Not even 1%, 0.1%. So you've been making us wear masks everywhere? Double mask, Anthony Fauci from two months ago? I think you're better off with double masks. You have kids passing out because they're running the 800 meters or cross country and they can't breathe. They're breathing in their own carbon dioxide. And you knew all along we don't need to wear a mask outside, not only vaccinated, but unvaccinated. Susan Collins sounds like Bobby Knight in letting the CDC have it. Cut eight. I always considered the CDC to be the gold standard. I don't anymore. So here we have unnecessary barriers to reopening schools, 
exaggerating the risks of outdoor transmission and unworkable restrictions on summer camps. Why does this matter? It matters because it undermines public confidence in your recommendations, in the recommendations that do make sense, in the recommendations that Americans should be following. So that's with the CDC. I'm not wearing a mask. I got vaccinated. I'm not wearing a mask, right? Uh, we have we watch stadiums fill up. No problem in Texas when we go watch the Rangers. You hear about a surge in Texas? No, a decline in Texas. You hear about a surge in Jacksonville? No, decline in Jacksonville. So that UFC event. You hear about a surge anywhere else? There was a big arena. Uh, there was a big. Uh, so I think Cowboy Stadium sold out the other day. Do you hear about a big surge there? No. Indoor, outdoor, it's not mattering. We're getting the vaccine. We got herd immunity, let alone people that had it already. So, Dr. Rand Paul, you probably heard it already. Spar with Dr. Anthony Fauci because we're trying to find out why with his purse strings, with him holding the purse strings for the NIH, why the NIH was giving to an organization that was giving to the Wuhan lab and why Dr. Fauci is in curious enough to make this a daily event. I want to get to the bottom of this because if you want to stop the next vaccine, you have to find out about it. This one started. So Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul sparred. Cut to. You support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're, you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. And we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how many times words, you're you say words, it, there he was research. He didn't say he didn't do it here, uh, and he seemed to have been forward. According to this article by Nicholas Baker in the, in the uh, New Yorker magazine, uh, they suspended it on the Obama era, and he might have found a back door on it. It needs to be pursued. He needs to be pursued. His lack of curiosity while doing literally six interviews a day for the past year and a half is really mind-numbing. Three million have died. Eighty million have been infected. So Rand Paul joined me last night on primetime afterwards. He was the guest in the night. And he just does not believe—in He, in fact, he told—he said it again. He believes that Anthony Fauci is flat-out lying. Cut three. So when I asked him about this research, we knew the answer. The answer is this, that there's a famous scientist in the Wuhan lab. Her name is Dr. Xi, and she published a paper a couple years ago, which has been reviewed by MIT and says that it's a gain of function research. But in the byline, she has to list the sponsors. She lists Dr. Fauci and the NIAID as a sponsor of her research, which everybody acknowledges gain of function research, juicing up the super viruses. So I don't know how he can get around this. He could argue, oh, it was an intermediary group. We gave it to EcoHealth who gave her the money. I think, I can't imagine he's on national television saying that he didn't do this when the peer-reviewed journal has a byline that says the author, this Batwoman, this scientist from the Wuhan Institute, that she acknowledges that the money came from Dr. Fauci and his institute. Look, you have to want to ask questions about this. It's affected all of your lives. 
and I'm not talking to Democrats, Republicans, men or women. I'm not just talking to uh, seniors. I'm not just talking to teens. I'm talking to everybody. There's nobody whose life hasn't been adversely affected by this. In the long run, we might have benefited, but in the short run, we have not been we have not been in control of our lives. Whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's business. You can't go out to eat. You can go out to eat. You can play sports. You can't play sports. You better wear a mask. You better keep your distance. You better keep three feet. No, it's six feet. You better not go to school. You better learn at home. All this stuff. Why aren't more people curious about this? Josh Rogan wrote a book about it. Uh, uh, Rand Paul is all over it. There's an extensive uh, piece done on 60 Minutes that left a lot of questions. Get to the bottom of it. We could do it on a Republicans and Democrats should be equally as curious. So I don't want to take too much time away from Martha. She's going to stay with us and get ready for her show at three. But I do want to bring up what's going on with this pipeline. This colonial pipeline, I had no idea we had a pipeline that supplied 45 percent of oil, oil and gas and diesel. If there is a separation there of energy to 17 states, I did not know we had one that went 5,500 miles from New Jersey to Texas. And I did not know they'd be so foolish to think that if they're run by computers, that they could actually have Microsoft Exchange services that is vulnerable to a cyber attack. The New York Times did a story and says there are several other issues besides using outdated Microsoft Exchange software that research is characterized as, quote, an overall lack of cybersecurity sophistication. How could, we, how could we have been left this vulnerable by Homeland Security and by President Trump and, if he knew about it, and by President Biden, if he knew about it? And if he doesn't know, he's been there 40 years. Who could know? Also should know this. GRU is an arm of the Kremlin. They are a foreign intelligence unit. And it's political beliefs. They spoke to U.S. intelligence officials that said today that they are behind this attack of a group located, we believe, in Russia called Darkside. Darkside said, well, uh, I'm not going to comment on this. And they said, we want to distance ourselves from it because the colonial attack, uh, well, we're going to blame that on an affiliate. Russia says we had nothing to do with it. But have you seen Navalny? He speaks up against Russia, hurts them, publishes video of their opulent lifestyles, damages them within the Russian community, the Russian citizens, and he's basically on death's door. You know how many opposition leaders have been poisoned and killed? How many were killed and how much sanctions were put on this country because they killed them in other countries like England? You're going to tell me that this group would jeopardize the Russian foreign policy and relations with the U.S. called dark side if the Russians didn't want them to? Of course they did. What is Joe Biden going to do? What is he going to do about Iran giving all these rockets to the Palestinians who have sent between 400 and 900 into Israel proper? What is he going to do about all that? So far, next to nothing. I'll talk to Martha about it and so much more. Man, do we have a lot to discuss. one 408 7669 Don't move. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Martha McCallum's here getting set to host her show uh, a little bit later on today at 3 o'clock Eastern time. 
Mott's had a busy week, back and forth from Washington. Big interview with Randy Weingarten, who rarely comes on our channel, the American Federation of Teachers president. And if there's something more important, I don't know what it is, whether you're a grandparent, a student, or a parent, you wonder why the kids aren't in school. And you will point to the unions. And the fact that some states are all in school, no mask going about it, Florida, Texas, and others test, they, some haven't been in school, period. Uh, there are some fundamental questions here, and she's been unwilling to really take tough questions, and you got her, and she answered them. You know, the problem is, is she's, she's done her job really well. You know, she represents the teachers' union, uh, American Federation of Teachers. They have received $123 billion from these relief packages by standing their ground. They were among the first to be invited to the White House when President Biden was in, became president. Uh, they were never in the White House in the Trump administration. And she showed me letters. I, I, it's not that we don't communicate all the time. We're talking about the CDC language uh, issue that they had, where their language that they asked for was then put into the CDC guidance. Uh, she said, we, we reached out all the time in the same capacity to the Trump administration, and they never listened to us. Well, obviously, Bessie DeVos <laughs> will tell you that they wanted, they believed that the science supported going back to school. And the problem Can is— Can I add it does? It does support going back to school. And, you know, the teachers—look, teachers are great people, right? I mean, this is not—it really—you have to look at the union. You have to look at the union leadership. There are teachers who, um, you know— have been a huge part of this. You think about the Chicago teachers who were doing interpretive dance routines on Zoom to express themselves about the lockdown. But by and large, this is a problem that is going to go on for, I think, many years. You know, you have some kids in places like Detroit, New York, Los Angeles, who never showed up for Zoom learning. Right. They literally dropped off the radar. So who represents them? And when Jen Psaki says, oh, there's so many stakeholders in these issues, we listen to all of them. You can listen to all of them. But the person that puts $20 million into the campaigns is likely to get the loudest voice. And if you look at all the super PACs, it could be $40 million into the campaigns. Uh, here's Randy Weingartner talking about, I want the kids back in school. Cut 35. It's time for our kids to be back in school. And I am grateful that um, the Biden administration is listening to parents and to teachers and to administrators. Is she really? And it's are they? well past time. It was, it's not it was time September now. the latest. It is well past time. And the problem is that I don't know how you look in the mirror and say these things when you have Catholic schools across the country, private schools across the country that have been in September, since September, colleges that have been fullbacks in September, playing sports, everything. And I feel for the people who live in these communities where they have had, you know, in San Francisco right now, they have this thing where they're going to bring the seniors back for one day. And they're going to invite them back to talk about the end of high school with a couple of teachers in a small cohort with their masks on. And, and by or, the way, they, the numbers are so low in San Francisco yeah, that yes. they think it's going to be a perfect like model. 20 cases. Um, or they can talk about their futures in college and career. With the, Who's going to show up for that? Nobody. Now, the reason they want to do it is because there was a legislation passed that said that if you, know, if you get back to school at all this year, you could be eligible for $12 million in funding. I mean, it's so transparent and just pathetic. I feel, you know, it, the thing, the other thing is, 
when you talk about 1619 and CRT and all of that, it's been a real eye-opening experience for parents across the country to have Zoom school brought into their home and to see what their kids are learning and to see that in some instances they're being asked if they're a victim or an oppressor based on their lineage, based on their ancestry. So this has forced a big question about choice that I think Betsy DeVos certainly embraces. She's been fighting for it for, for a long, long time. But now you have people in minority communities, inner, inner cities, looking at this choice situation and saying, why? Yeah, why can't I take my tax dollars and send my child to the Catholic school down the street for $5,000, $6,000 a year? And this is a question that I think is one of the silver linings of this experience in right. education. And especially because this guy, Andrew Gutman in particular, doesn't seem to be a, a conservative Republican who just saw his 12-year-old daughter's curriculum and said, I'm pulling her out of the most prestigious school in New York City. There probably would have been a glide path to the Ivies because I don't want her a part of it. And now he's creating a whole movement behind it. Yeah. We're going to talk to that. And Ian Pryor did the same thing, leading a, a bunch of uh, uh, eager parents in Virginia. More with Martha McCallum. We'll get to preview her show and also talk about some of the sparring with Anthony Fauci, as well as what's going on with this pipeline. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I believe we should teach history. Um, and from everything I can see and understand from the data I see, 1619 was the year that the first slave um, boat came from Africa to the Correct. United States. So that's a point in history that I think we should be teaching. Do you think that it's wrong to suggest to children that be if they're white, they belong to an oppressor class? If they're black, they belong to a victim class? Do you have any problem with that? I think we should be lifting up all ethnicities. I don't think we should say that one is an oppressor class and one okay. is a non-oppressor class. I am a big believer in celebrating diversity and actually, actually looking at and helping look at people's lived experience. So what did you get from that, Martha McCallum, as you sat down with Randy Weigarten a couple of days ago, the president of the American Federation of Teachers? I mean, I don't know how much data you have to look at to know that the first slave <laughs> this ship just came in, from 1619. Yeah. Um, it's an overly simplistic take on what's in the 1619 program. I do think that everybody should dig into it, should read it to see what you think, because there is a lot of stuff that gets thrown around about these programs. But it is the case that it argues that the founding of the country was 1619 based on the arrival of slaves and that the reason for creating the United States of America was to find a place where you could preserve and entrench slavery, which is simply not true. Uh, when you look at 1776 and you look at the battle that went on between the founding fathers during the creation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, um, it was you know, obviously a, a, a democracy. Democratic dream, a search for equality, uh, the pursuit of happiness for everyone in the country. And there was a debate over slavery that is well documented during that period. All of this is what kids should be learning at school, including uh, the arrival of that ship in 1619. But, you know, the problem is that th these materials were so popular from the, you know, this 1619 New York Times piece that they were turned into school manuals, teaching materials. And now the Biden administration says that if you adopt that or you teach Kendi, 
uh, you're going to be in line for a grant from the federal government if you can prove that you are open to teaching these elements in the classroom. So. A New York Times series mm-hmm. that has books written about it because of all the holes and the inaccuracies mm-hmm. in it. And she said, well, not everything is that research. She kind of backtracked it. It's full of uh, uh, erroneous assumptions, one of which was we were cre- we fought the uh, the, the battle of uh, we fought the British in order to preserve slavery when it had absolutely nothing to do with it. Right there, you could also say this: Hey, Randy, when did the country start? 1776. Can we start from there? Because about nobody even thought we were going to fight the war, let alone extend the war, let alone win the war against the world's only superpower. And it wasn't for slavery because it didn't disappear after. It was in all their provinces and all their colonies and all those islands surrounding it. The only reason why it stopped by France because France had all the insurrections. But meanwhile, we always learned. Didn't you learn about slavery? Didn't of course. You, did we all learn? No one ran from this. Did we see the, the most successful movie? Movies, uh, well, you know, some of the uh, based on slavery. They're rolling out another one. Harriet Tubman will be a, a big hit. Jackie Robinson. That's part of it. Was of an all white sport. And of course, but, but why, the, why are we do? Why are we going through this? Do this self flagellation? Because there are those who don't like the version that is that's being taught. And there's a you know when you talk about equity which is the buzzword, which is now what the president says all the time. It's about leveling the beginning playing field so that you make up for disparities in education, for example. There's a lot of reasons why there's disparity in education. One of them is that cities across this country are notorious for being really bad at running school systems. And many of them are run by Democrat leadership. So that's where we need to look. If we want to improve the school system, you you need to address it there. You also need to give people more choice to have portable dollars like they're doing in West Virginia. Now you you spend 11,000 tax dollars on, on your student. That's what they're spending per student. You can take that money and you can say, I want to go to this school. I want to go to that school. It's an empowering feeling that parents have, now understood they can have if they elect officials who are in favor of it. Yeah, I think so, too. And as I mentioned in the break, Ian Pryor came out when he realized uh, he was being doxxed uh, on social media because he came out against this curriculum and so were others. So they don't know who he was messing with. So he had unified these parents and they're pushing back against this political correctness in schools and they're going to be doing their own thing. Andrew Gutman writes this letter and Andrew Gutman's the financier, probably does pretty well, uh, uh, very well. And he says, I'm not going to take this anymore. And here's what he said in an interview on Fox and Friends over the weekend after writing that letter that was published in Substack by Barry Weiss, the former New York Times editorial director. And he published a letter saying, listen, this Beardsley School, I want no part of it. I cannot believe the curriculum. I have my daughter apologizing that she's white, uh, saying that she's subservient and all these horrendous things. I wanted to finish the year and then we're going somewhere else. Listen to where this is going now. Well, I think somebody had to do something. We had tried to talk to parents from the beginning of the school year and and organize a little bit, which is very hard to do because there's such pervasive fear of speaking Mm -hmm. up on this issue. So I just thought, you know what, somebody has to do this. We have made the decision to not re-enroll our daughter for next year. Uh, This is really, this critical race theory is really a cancer in our schools and in our society. And I just thought, you know what, somebody's got to do this and try to get parents to speak up. So I did. He might be starting his own school. Yeah. Yeah, we had him on um, last week, I guess, and talked to him about his plan. And, you know, the thing is, 
you look at those programs and these schools that are cropping up, my one fear about that is that you do start isolating kids into these, you know, sort of columns and pockets of being of the way they're being taught. So it's really a shame that in our public school system, we can't address both sides of the story in an even-handed way. But it is it is the case that what we're seeing is this indoctrination that has moved its way. I mean, just pick up just pick up like a high school history book, you know, and, and go through it and see what's in there. I think a lot of parents have done that over the course of this past year, and they're shocked at the slant that they see in the way that history is being presented. So uh, you know, I, I understand the need and I and I encourage the need for these schools to pop up. There's a lot of classical schools that are popping up now as well. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of room for different approaches. But we also need to make sure that kids who are still in the public schools um, are not being, you know, fed wrong information and not being taught to hate their country. Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, it would be great. So the other big story, I believe, is the ongoing uh, Anthony Fauci Rand Paul rivalry, and I'm surprised more people haven't jumped on it, although Senator Marshall has uh, says he is petitioning to get a uh, select committee on what really happened leading to this pandemic. Here's a, a little of the sparring that went on yesterday between Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci. Cut one. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research. I don't favor gain-of-function. We got it. So the problem is, is that uh, Martha McCallum, NIH gave money to Echo Health, who gave money to the Wuhan lab. Right. And did they know what they were doing there? And there's some problems with his story. Rand Paul called him a liar last night. He called him again a liar with Bill Hammer. Yeah. You know, the problem is there's this kind of globalist philosophy about medicine, and that's what leads to the embracing of the WHO. But we learned a lot, right? During the course of the last year, we learned that that China has an undue influence in the WHO and that we were also funding even through these third-party mechanisms, some of what was going on in the Wuhan lab. And I think that, you know, everyone needs to smarten up and open up their eyes and realize that these are yeah. not relationships that we can that we can have. We just can't unless they're going to be as transparent and forthcoming with their research as we are. He's a doctor, extremely intelligent. Uh, Dr. Marty McCarry came out and says, I had dinner with him. He's like, as smart as anyone. I'm oh, he's great. Very smart guy. Uh, so you might not agree. I got to desperately disagree with Rand Paul on foreign policy. He doesn't want to do anything anywhere, just stay home. But when it comes, but he's definitive in his thought. That's why I was surprised when Allison was listening to Morning Joe because you should be watching Fox and Friends. Number one, <laughs> number two, she found them discussing this. Cut five. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You're, no matter how many times words, you're you say words, it, there it was didn't research. Happen. 
it's like ripped from the pages why of QAnon. Why is he doing I mean, this to really, himself? I don't know why he does. It's really strange. It's more than strange. It's disturbing. It's part of a bigger picture. Has a doctor at the front of his name. Uh, for <laughs> some reason, it uh, seems to go further out there than anybody else. Here, basically, sounding like some QAnon protagonist. Rand Paul is a doctor. Um, Dr. Fauci is the chief boogeyman for conspiracy theories. We know this. We've known this for over a year. There are all kinds of theories. We don't need to run through them again. But they're not just in the darkest corners of the Internet. They found their way onto prominent cable news shows. Martha, it's unbelievable. I mean, did you watch 60 Minutes? You yeah. See, you see Jamie Metzl, who I talked to last night. There's legitimate issues from Absolutely. around the world, Australia, so, Taiwan. I, I can't figure out, you know, why why they are so reluctant to even learn more about this topic, right? I mean, I, you don't have to agree with Rand Paul on this, but look at what Dr. Redfield said as well. I was really struck in that 60 Minutes interview when Dr. Redfield said, you know, the ability to for a virus to move from a from an animal to a human in such a short period of time. He said you can see a virus when you look at it historically that evolves over time and comes from an animal and eventually learns how to infect human beings. Not in this time span though. Yeah. Uh, so for you, I am curious about this. Like, uh, for example, Tom Brady has won um, seven Super Bowls at the age of 45. I'd like to know what he eats. <laughs> I also want to know how he works out. So a pandemic has poisoned the he entire— He doesn't eat any fruit. I heard about that. Uh, strawberries in particular, right? Mm-hmm. It causes uh, inflammation. Right. So I'm still eating fruit. <laughs> but, do. but I don't want to win a Super That's Bowl why at this so point. Inflamed. Right. I don't want to take off the whole fall and play football. Right. Not at this point. Um, that's why I'm not going to read the whole book. But I did get the book on tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but getting a diet book on tape is really not good. I, just I, know. Be, I can't pay attention. You know, so. <laughs> and they're doing the recipes. Right. And you're like, like okay, paprika. Okay, let me pull over. <laughs> so what was I saying? So I why wouldn't you be curious about a poison? Why wouldn't you be curious? That's right. the whole point. Uh, so I don't get you it. You have to agree. But at least, you know, it's like, oh, shut it down. If it's Rand Paul, if it's coming out of his mouth, it must be insane. So they, they just, you know, started calling him a. QAnon supporter. So the WHO advisor, Jamie Metzl, who told me, he said in the interview, he said, you mention I'm a progressive. Mention this, mm-hmm. this shouldn't be politics. Cut 11. We should be demanding answers. And the first thing that we should be doing is demanding that China end its massive cover-up. From day one, what they have been doing is destroying samples, hiding records, imprisoning citizen journalists. They have a universal gag order on scientists, making it illegal for them to say or write anything about the origins of the pandemic. So we need to be demanding the answers. And the reason why it's so important is the same reason why we try to understand why every plane crashes. Now, it's not that we can save that plane, but when we understand what went wrong, that gives us the upper hand of preventing that from happening again. If we don't get to the bottom of this, we are at risk for another pandemic that could be even far worse than this one. Right. And I just don't understand why Anthony Fauci gets a pass on all this stuff. I, I don't either. Why is he curious? Why isn't he saying, I really i am working with my best staff? He could put his star power and go to Biden. Hey, Joe, I know you really like me. You know what I like to find out? What happened to the Wuhan lab? Yeah. And here's the other thing. Any any bad actor country who looks at what happened with this virus, let's just assume for a moment that it that it was a completely innocent slip Mistake. or leak of this from the lab or from somewhere else where it happened the way, you know, th- through the bats or whatever. Anybody's looking at this and saying, wow, biological warfare or, you know, viral warfare, works. it works. 
We took down the United States economy for an entire year. So we, I absolutely agree with Jamie Metzl. When you, when a plane crashes, you got to figure out why it crashed. And we need to look at this virus. We need right. to look at it closely. We need to think about when the next one starts, right? What is going to be our instant reaction, right? What is our alarm bell across the country? What do we do to prevent this from happening again? Because I hate to say it, but it sounds like this is going to happen again. And guess what? This is how you do it. This is the virus, and this is the vaccine. Everyone gets the vaccine. The rest of the world gets the virus. Mm-hmm. Martha McCallum, we're going to find out if there's more to know or just talk a little bit amongst ourselves. Good, because I want to bring something back. up with you that I heard you say this morning. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Martha McCallum's going to sit to do her show. Martha, first, uh, before we run out of time, do you know what your show's going to be like today no, at No, it's a big surprise. You know one person who's going to be on. <laughs> I know Brian Kilmeade's going to be there on. There you go. <laughs> um, We've had so many big guests this week. Um, yeah, so we're going to Yeah, talk Betsy to DeVos yesterday. That's yep. where you're in Washington, the former yep. Secretary of Education. Yeah. And we're, uh, and I'm we're sure, gonna are pipeline. you going to have a band again? The are you going to play mostly music? Is it still mostly music at 3 o'clock? <laughs> yeah, we're going to be live on the, we're going to be live outside with the Beach Boys. Right. Stick Which around. I, uh, everyone's fun. got different ideas about their format, but that seems exactly. to be something from the 70s. Yeah, we have Michael Waltz. We're going to play actually a very interesting segment of the Betsy DeVos uh, interview where she talks about um, her resignation and what she thinks about that now. So we're going to play that for people today. I mean, how many people remember she Mark resigned on January seventh after January sixth? Yeah, she did. She was the second person uh, after Elaine Chao. And how about the fact that the Yankees? There's two Yankees who have breakthrough COVID, both fully vaccinated, and also I think a coach got it. So why are the three members of the Yankees team who all have breakthrough COVID after being vaccinated? I, I'm very curious about that. Were they were they really vaccinated? Were they just saying that? Well, know. that's what I hope because all three that, of them. I mean, maybe I. I don't know. I find it very curious. And one of the big questions that I have is the the India variant and how it, whether or not this vaccine covers the India variant. They don't know yet. They're doing tests on it. But it, see, it I did, saw a report this morning. They did know. Don't worry about it. Mm, but who knows? I'm going to talk to Dr. Francis Collins, who's excellent from the NIH. So right. we're going to find out what's going on with the now. Yankees. What question do you have for me? No, it's, it's, I, I don't like to be served breakfast in bed. You, don't. you agree, right? <laughs> I was running this morning and I listened to Fox and Friends on my, on my you know, earbuds. And uh, I was like, yes, I do not. Who likes, no, it's who a wants bad like idea. syrup, cereal, right. anything? I need to be out of my exactly. bed. For, yeah, actually, I need to be out for like a couple hours before I actually right. start See eating people. something. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's cute, right? It's cute when your kids are little and they bring it in. But the truth of the matter is that most moms do not want, you know, toast crumbs or cereal right. in bed. Right. Allison, I know your kids are too young, <laughs> but is it true women I, – I know as a man, I'll represent all the men. Yeah. Uh, we do not want breakfast in bed. No, it's 100% <laughs> accurate. Right. It's so overrated. It's from television. It's from it sitcoms. Is, you're right. And we feel Mom, as though we got to do it because... Carol Brady liked it. Yeah, and it, we should not <laughs> feel pressured by the Bradys. I know. Not Tom, not Carol, no, not exactly. Mike. exactly. Watch Martha today at 3 o'clock. Thanks, Brian. Until we'll at see least, you then. At least 3.10. We'll see you then. And then i got to go do something. Else. Okay. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.